let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll read again from verses 8 through to 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through to 12. Remember, this is the Apostle Peter's final section dealing with the subject of subjection. Previously, he's talked about subjection in society, thinking about the workplace, thinking about the workman as an employee working for an employer, and vice versa, how there's to be treatment in those kind of relationships. And then he dealt with subjection in the home, the Christian couple, the godly husband, and the godly wife living out their lives together before the Lord. And now he's really dealing with subjection of one another in the church. And that's what um, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 through to 12 is really all about. Now let's just read the passage together. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. Finally, you feel the force of that word. Finally, be ye all of one mind. Having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but countrywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him ensue evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Amen. We know that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 9 to 12, and my subject today is another look at the blessings of Christian fellowship. Now last Lord's Day we looked at the marks of Christian fellowship. The Apostle Peter is telling us here, this is how we ought to behave in the house of God. Remember his original argument? Because we're in a unique relationship and have communion and union with God and each other, then we have certain duties, certain characteristics that we need to be made aware of. And as we submit to one another in the fear of God, these certain graces and marks will be evident in our lives. Look at verse 8. We're to be marked by unity. Be ye all of one mind. This is a common theme in the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. Church of Jesus Christ is tailor-made for true Christian unity. There can be no true Christian fellowship without basic biblical unity in the vital areas of true Bible-believing Christianity. We're to be marked by sympathy. We're to have compassion one of another. Being sympathetic. That, that means having feelings one for another. We should demonstrate concern and interest for one another. We're not to be hard-hearted or cold-hearted. We're not to be cruel or nasty or without feeling for one another and for others' needs in the church. Thirdly, we're to be marked by charity. We're to love as brethren. 
He's returning to the theme of love. He's already told us in chapter 1 verse 22 about loving one another. We're not to loathe each other. We're not to be livid with each other. We're to be mindful because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We will love each other. That's the badge of our profession. Because we love the Saviour. We will also love the saints. We'll also love the souls of men. We'll not allow bitterness or resentment or petty jealousies or other things to build up and so that we become unloving in deed or in word. We're to be marked by piety. That means we're to be pitiful, showing mercy to those who have wronged us. We're to be tender-hearted, kind-hearted, have a spirit of carefulness to come alongside others in time of need. We're to be marked by courtesy. That means to be friendly. We're to be full of good manners. We're to, to win the hearts and woo the hearts of fellow believers in the house of God, just like a young man seeks to win and woo the heart of a woman. Now the question for us as we closed last week was this. Is this how we really behave in the house of God? Is this how we are in our behaviour one toward another? This is the standard that God sets forth. Here's the marks of Christian fellowship. Notice, secondly, this is where we left off last Lord's Day, the marring of Christian fellowship. Look with me at verse 9 now. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but countrywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Having told us how we ought to behave, he now tells us what we're not to do in our interpersonal relationship one with another in the church. We're, we're not to be rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but countrywise blessing. Note the use of the word evil. In these verses 9 through to 12, the word evil is used in five times. It's used twice in verse 9, once in verse 10, once in verse 11, and once in verse 12. Isn't it interesting that the Apostle Peter here is not employing any sentimental kind of language? <coughs> The man's a realist. He lives in a real world. And with a very practical realism, he is facing up to some problems that we can meet within the context of the church fellowship. And if you notice, the third thing that he mentions with the word evil is in the verse 10 let him refrain his tongue from evil. Now notice the mention of the tongue. Dr. Frank McClelland on a number of occasions when he was with us said, maybe jestingly, but we understood the sentiment, the biggest problem in the life of the church is people. Imagine a church with no people. You'd have no fellowship problems. Of course you'd have no church. But where you've got Christian people meeting for fellowship with God and with each other, we're all liable to have certain problems. 
And Peter's mentioning not only how we ought to behave, but now he's telling us, here's what we're not to do. In other words, he's mentioning some of the problems that we can encounter. And he mentions here rendering evil. He mentions here reeling. Maybe we could just say it by way of an aside. Please don't go looking for the perfect church. And if you meet a man or a woman who's a Christian and they say, oh, I'm looking for the perfect church, um, then tell them, you're never going to find it. A church where nobody gets hurt. A church where, where nothing goes wrong. A church where nobody gets mad or, or, or even filled with a spirit where he, he wants to get even. The truth is, you'll never find the perfect church. Because there's no such thing. And the free Presbyterian church is not perfect. It never will be this side of eternity. And I think from our moderator right down to even the students in the college would readily admit that. The Free Presbyterian Church, of course, is striving to be a church that's biblical in theology as well as in methodology. The Free Presbyterian Church is trying to live for the honour and glory of the Lord and put the Lord first in our lives. The Free Presbyterian Church, of course, needs your 100% commitment and support and I just want to say thank you again today for being part of this congregation. And even as I anticipate that we're going to embark uh, on a, a sort of a two-year uh, building program, we're going to need your support. We're going to need your help. We're going to need your commitment. We're going to need the spirit of sacrifice that you've already shown. We need to stand together. Uh, we need to stand shoulder to shoulder as we seek to uh, serve the Lord. And as we seek to have support so that we can encourage each other. Here's the Apostle Peter now. And he's a realist. And he knows that the church to whom he's writing is far from perfect. Because where you've got people, you've got imperfection. And he knows that there are certain problems can arise in the life of the church. And what does he mention? He mentions the word evil five times in writing to the church. And he mentions it at the center one, refrain his tongue from evil. You see, Peter knows when he mentions the tongue, the problems that the tongue can cause. He knows that a lack of Self-denial. He knows that a love of self is a great source of trouble among God's people. And he isn't ignoring it. He's not pretending that it will just go away. He knows that love of self, the desire to promote self, vindicate self, is the most rampant cause of problems and disputes in the church. So he nails it. And he says, not rendering evil for evil. Now what does that mean? Not, not rending each other. Literally not repaying evil with evil. You, you've heard the little statement, I, I, I don't get mad. I get even. And of course that's what he's saying 
Don't do that in the church. Here is the matter of Christian interpersonal relationship. We're living with each other. We're being close to each other. We know each other's mistakes, our errors, our, our sins, our shortcomings. We, we know that we're sharing the same space. And it's easy to see how there can be friction and a fraction even in our relationships. And as believers, we're to demonstrate our love toward people. Even those who insult us. Even those who abuse us. Even those who manifest animosity and hatred toward us. The Lord Jesus taught us, love your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. Didn't Paul say, Romans 12 and 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. In other words, don't repay evil in kind. Don't repay evil with evil back. We're not to settle insults and injuries on our terms. We're to stop retaliating. The repaying of evil for evil has no place in the life of the church or no place in true Bible-believing Christianity. Notice he, he says, or railing for railing. Then that really means no wrong use of the tongue. And of course, that's a very prevalent sin in the life of the Church of Jesus Christ throughout the country. And a wrong use of the tongue causes hurt to people personally and causes great harm to the work of God generally. And sadly, all too often, Christians frequently, by, by a careless, thoughtless use of the tongue, offend. People get hurt. We're not to slander one another. We're not to gossip about one another. You know the, the mindset. We probably all like to find out something rotten about someone or some place. Maybe what we're finding out has got no basis in fact. And you sort of say, oh, do you know, I can't believe that of him. I can't believe that of her. Is that true? Is that, isn't that terrible? And then we're on the phone to somebody. Did you hear about so and so? No, no, don't don't say that I said it. But maybe the whole story that, that you've heard has no basis in fact, and there's no prayer about the situation. There's no application of the biblical principle. Is it true? Has it got a basis in fact? Is it is it the right time for me to discuss this? Am I saying it in the right manner, in the right spirit? Am I right myself? Why am I sharing this? You see, there, there can be even uh, criticism. And of course, it's right to have a critical analysis of things. We need a true spirit of discernment today. Uh, you, you think of this um, so-called same-sex marriage debate in the south of Ireland. There has to be discernment and the discernment needs to be biblically based what is marriage 
And where did the idea and the concept come from? And so on and so forth. And once we begin to apply uh, biblical principles and use the spirit of discernment, we, we come to a spiritual judgment. But when I talk about criticism, I'm not talking about a critical analysis of things with spiritual discernment and judgment. I'm talking about our, our spirit. The, 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 the hypersensorious, hypercritical attitude. Um, saying things in a kind of way to destroy or to tear or to hurt or to rend the people of God. Peter just names railing because he knows that's an area for potential trouble among God's people. And you know what? When he mentions the tongue, he's got a message about the tongue. Over there in Psalm 141 and verse 3, you've got a prayer. Maybe you could turn to that. Psalm 141 and verse 3. And at the back of Peter's mind has to be surely these words. When he says, Refrain his tongue from evil. Part of that refraining is this prayer. Psalm 141 verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. The word watch there means a, a sentinel. Someone on duty before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Not only does he mention the tongue and not only does he have a message about the tongue, but let's think about the misuse of the tongue for a moment. He says, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And the reference there is to, to evil speaking. Now, now turn with me again in your Bible to, to James chapter 1 verse 26. James chapter 1 verse 26. Give you time to look up the reference. James 1 verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now it's not full of significance. It applies to me as a preacher of the gospel. It applies to all who profess to be God's people. Everyone who claims to be saved. And say I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Saviour. I believe the gospel. What he's saying is. If our profession of religion. Never touches our tongue. Then that religion is empty. It's vain. That's what he means. We're deceived. If you go back to 1 Peter, it says in verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Now, now this is part of a quotation from Psalm 34. And we'll come back to that. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. It's a reference to evil speaking. Mention is made here of the lips. 
but they speak no guile. See, the true Christian who's in love with Jesus Christ, he will think about what the Bible says about the tongue. He will know that God is a message for him. He'll be concerned about the misuse of the tongue. The true Christian will be careful with his tongue, careful with his speech. He will not use his tongue to promote evil. He will not use his tongue to, to wrongdoing. He will not use his tongue certainly to get revenge or, or for evil purposes. He will not use his tongue for slander or gossip or lies or, or being a false witness or blasphemy. Isn't there the danger of an unguarded, unbridled, unrestrained tongue? Isn't it natural for us to react? He called me this. He called me that. Yes, it's natural to resort. But let's remember it's also sinful. Look at James chapter 3 for a moment. James chapter 3. Look with me at verse 2. He says in being a realist, dealing with problems, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, he's homing in in one area of offence. The same is a perfect man. That doesn't mean he's sinlessly perfect. That, 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 that means that he is, is, is complete, that, 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 that he is wholly disciplined. And able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. And it defileth the whole body. And setteth in fire the course of nature. And is set in fire of hell. Now, now get the picture. He's talking about a man. Who has reached the place. Where he's not offending in word. If any man offend not in word. The same is a perfect man. And then he mentions Horses putting a bit and bridle in a horse's mouth. Why? Because horses are not easily tamed. The horse doesn't like the bit and the bridle. He doesn't like to be controlled. But the bit and the bridle is necessary to, to control the body of the horse, to turn it to the left or the right or get it to stop or to go forward. He, he mentions the ships. Huge ocean liners have a very small helm. Uh, the boat doctors here asked Mr. Strong if a big boat was left out of the water you would see it's got a very very small uh, propeller and yet the boat can turn and he says in verse 6 even so the tongue's a little member it's just as small as a bit and bridle it's as small as a helm and boasteth great things behold how great a matter a little fire Kindleth. He's thinking about a spark here. He's thinking about a half-lit match thrown down. He's thinking about a cigarette butt. And, and, and that goes to the heart of it. 
How, how quickly, from that little spark, the half-lit match, the cigarette butt, the, 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 the shining of the sun, a fire can spread quickly and intensely. When, whenever I was over in Hobart, South Australia, I did go down to Port Arthur after the fire had ravaged about uh, a hundred uh, acres there. And um, we, we discovered that there was a, an attempt at a fire break to stop the fire spreading to houses. But, but they were unable to stop the fire. And I asked the uh, uh, clerk of session from the Hobart, or the um, uh, church there in Kingston, um, uh, Brother Noel, I, I said to him, why did the fire break not work? And he says, well, you know, down in this area there's eucalyptus trees. And the eucalyptus trees are, are, are full of oil. And he says, in the intensity of the heat, they explode. And the oil just spews out from one tree to the next tree. And it can go quite a distance. And even if there's a fire break, um, despite it being maybe uh, 100 feet or 100 yards, he says, it make no difference. It would still spread and spread rapidly. And I just thought, doesn't it take years to grow a forest of trees? And yet they can be destroyed in hours and in days with a fire. Doesn't it take years to erect a building? Yet that building can be gutted in a few hours. I think of the massive building in the south of England that was owned by the National Trust that we saw on our television. Doesn't it take years to build up a church? To see it established? And yet in a short time, it can be broken down. And, and Peter's saying to the church there, you've got to face the danger of a careless, critical tongue. Here's his advice. We need strong discipline in this particular area. And that's true in the workplace. That's true in the home of a husband and wife. Very easily among a family to give offence and to sow discord, to have division. But it's equally true among God's people. We're not to boast. We're not to use our tongue to blast. You know this idea, well, let him have it with both barrels. But we're not to blast. We're to use our tongue to bless. And even if somebody lets you have two barrels and they, 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 they have to get it out of their head and have to get it out of their system and they have to be heard and somebody's giving it to us right between the eyes, how are we to react? Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but countrywise blessing. We're to refrain our tongue from evil. In World War II, a war that I... I uh, can't remember, I uh, can read about it in the history books. Uh, yesterday was VE Day, 70 years from the end of the war. But in World War II there was a poster. And here was what it said. Careless talk costs lives. And isn't that true? If the tongue's of fire, a world of iniquity, a, a, a thing that's full of deadly poison, a tongue that no man can tame, then let's remember the misuse of the tongue. And let's remember it needs strong discipline to control it. Proverbs 18.19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. 
And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. See, when the tongue sets a thing in motion, it's almost impossible to stop it. But a man who's forgiven of his sins, washed in the blood of Christ, and that man who is the Spirit of God residing within him, he will have a forgiving spirit. And even if someone offends him in tongue, and lets him have it with both barrels, his mindset ought to be, I forgive you. We're to be careful not to use the tongue to boast or to blast, but to bless. And that means to build up one another. We apply those marks that we discovered in verse 8. The apostle here is instructing the people of God, bless your opponents. Don't repay them in kind. Pray for your enemies. Ask God to richly bless them. Be kind to them in word and in deed. Seek to promote their well-being. You're called to inherit this. Notice the word, inherit a blessing. An inheritance is never earned, it's a gift. Aren't we anxious for the blessing of God? And and, and we have learned that that we have unique access to God in prayer. We we have unendered access as we mention the name of Christ, as we come grounded in the blood. We can get answers to our prayers as we see that from verse 12 because he tells us there, if you look at verse 12, that um, God hears uh, 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 and his ears are open unto their prayers. Here's the opposite. Having a church in blessing or a church that's bleeding. And at the center of it is The use of the tongue. We can hurt one another by the use of the tongue. We can hurt other people's feelings. We can harm the testimony of the Lord because the Spirit of God is grieved and vexed and quenched. But we can hinder the work of God. And notice this in verse 12. God hates it. It says the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. But that's in the context of the church. And behind this misuse of the tongue is an expression of self. It's it's a lack of self-denial. A lack of restraint. Isn't it supremely important how we live? Not only in society and in the house with our family, but in the church. Not marring the testimony of God in society by our behaviour. Not marring the testimony in a home, because that's a tragedy. But here's a greater tragedy, marring the testimony of the church. God's people hurt. And a thousand and hundreds of homes and tens of homes being affected. The marring of Christian fellowship. Now now I have a final thought here, and I'm just leaving it with you. We'll come back to this. I, I want to preach a full sermon on verse 12. It's very encouraging. The message of Christian fellowship. Look at verse 12 as we close. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. The Lord watches over his people. Here's a great encouragement. The watch care of the Lord. You're full of trials and troubles at the moment. You're facing difficulty and hardship. And you don't know what to do or where to turn. Just remember this. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. If you're genuinely saved, and that's what the word righteous means. The Lord watching over you. You're his child. He's quoting from Psalm 34. This is a focal verse. 
And not only does the Lord watch over his people, but the Lord hears the prayers of his people. Notice the word eyes. Notice the word ears. Here's a third thought. The Lord's face is against them that do evil. Are you the Lord's this morning? Are you saved? You love Christ. You're trying to live for him in the context of living out the Christian life in the 21st century. You face problems and difficulties. Let's remember the Lord's watching over us. Let's remember his ears open to us. Let's remember his faces against all them that do evil, whether in the church, in the home, or in society. And that ought to be encouraging for God's people. And that's the message that goes to the heart of Christian fellowship. The marks, they're fivefold. The marring, at the center of the marring is always the misuse of the tongue. Let's think he mentions it in the context of fellowship. Let, let, let's think of the message. We need prayer that it might be brought under discipline. Set a watch, O Lord, upon the door of my lips. Help us to refrain our tongue from evil. And let's think about this message. The Lord's watching us. His eyes are upon us. His ears are open to us. And his face is against all them that do evil. Lord, I thank you today I'm not among those that are doing evil. If I am, Lord, give me grace to repent. Give me grace to put it right. Are you saved this morning? Do you love the Lord? Have you trusted Christ? Are you among God's people? That goes to the heart. Of this message. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to us today, and we pray that we'll be encouraged and helped.